And a good Saturday morning to you. 7.45 on CCO time for Jack Farrell's Wine Chat from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hello, Denny. How are things? Uh, things are pretty good. You know, we're above average uh, temperature uh, this yeah. time. It's very comfortable. Practically spring-like. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> What's on the agenda today? You know, I thought we would talk about an age-old thing, new world wines and old world wines. And what's the difference? Uh, actually, not much difference anymore. You know, not too long ago, uh, say 30 years ago, there was a real difference. You know, uh, wines, new world wines are considered wines that are produced in the new world. However, that also includes Asia, Japan, South Africa, so it isn't any longer just the wines of the New World, North and South America and Australia and New Zealand. It encompasses a lot more these days. And frankly, as I said, 30 years ago, wines, you know, 40 years ago, there weren't any real vineyards to speak of in New Zealand and the ones that did produce fortified wine. So New Zealand is a, a real good example because the Sauvignon Blanc that's produced in New Zealand is often compared to the Old World wines. The Old World wines are basically European wines and the wines from parts of Asia like Turkey, uh, where they've been producing a long time uh, wines in there, and maybe North Africa, Algeria, etc. Those were considered Old World wines. And the EU, for that matter, uh, banned the words, you know, 40 years ago, there was wines that were popular called Hardy Burgundy or Chablis or, God forbid, Pink Chablis. Anyhow, uh, those were labels that were attached to New World wines, making people who bought them thinking they would get those Old World flavors. So if somebody grew up in Burgundy and had a, a wonderful Savigny Le Bon, let's say, and then all of a sudden... Uh, came to this country and had a Gallo Hardy Burgundy, uh, it wouldn't be the same at all. They're totally, completely different. And today, as I said, the EU outlaws them using those kind of names. But is there any real difference in Old World and New World wines? Yes, indeed. Old World wines are most often described as tasting lighter, having a little less alcohol, having higher acidity, less fruity, and more food-friendly. New World wines are described as tasting riper, higher alcohol, less acidity, and a jammy, fruity nose. And despite these descriptors between New and Old World, there's plenty of exceptions to those rules. And the interesting thing today is 30 years ago, you would never have anybody uh, making, a, say, a terrain in the uh, Loire Valley which is the same area that Sancerre comes from. Terrain is a uh, wine that's made 100% from Sauvignon Blanc, saying it's a bit like a New Zealand wine. Well, God forbid if they said that 30 years ago, they'd be drummed out of France. It was not patriotic, etc. So it's changed a lot today. And is there any real difference? Yes, indeed. Let's say you have, were going to produce a wine uh, from... Cabernet Sauvignon, and you were going to make that wine, produce, grow some in the Napa Valley and some in Bordeaux, and you were going to use the same winemaker, the same techniques, same everything. Would the wines be the same? 
Absolutely not. The wine takes most of its flavor, the grape does, from the terroir or the soil. And that's what really makes a difference. And I think the style that I mentioned, the difference in the style, where old world wines are lighter and new world wines are more aggressive, uh, you know, it was very necessary for a time. And back in 1976, when we were fortunate in the United States to have bested the greatest of French wines in the great Paris taste-off, where all the winners were uh, wines from California, uh, white wines, Chardonnay, our Chardonnay beat out uh, one of the, their best Charlemagne, a Corton Charlemagne, and our uh, Cabernet bested some of the first growths from Bordeaux. And, of course, that set the market upside down. But the reason was is our wines were made to taste and show early. It was just like being a young teenager jumping around saying, hey, notice me, I'm here. And that's what American wines were going through at that time. They weren't getting any recognition. Even in this country, most people thought that we produce wines secondly to the good wines of the old country. Well, that Paris tasting turned everything topsy-turvy. And all of a sudden now, uh, what are we, Forty, almost 40 years past that, they're beginning to make wines in California and the rest of the world that are more um, food-friendly. They don't jump out of the table and say, notice me, jump, you know, I'm a real jamming nose, etc. They're more elegant, they're softer, they're easier to like. And uh, also the big difference, you know, is in the labeling of those wines. Uh, most New World wines are labeled with a varietal. So if you're getting a Syrah from Australia, uh, they don't label anything but Syrah, somebody's Syrah, whether it's Yellowtail Syrah or uh, Koala Ranch Syrah, which are two good low-priced Syrahs from Australia. But uh, then in uh, Europe, the old world, a Syrah, for example, Hermitage is almost 100% Syrah, and that's in the northern Côte du Rhône. And so the labels are different. The old world labels were based on geography. The new world labels were based on the varietal they were making. And so that made it kind of easy uh, to differentiate them. And today what we see is an awful lot of blending of people coming to the United States. In fact, if you have a vineyard, an up-to-date modern vineyard in uh, France, you want to send your son or daughter or one of your top people, to the University of California at Davis to take some courses to learn a little bit or give him an etage at, uh, uh, or an internship with a winery, and you do the same and reciprocate for a California winery. That's very common, and it's changed the winemaking all over the world. You know, and there, it isn't just changed the winemaking here. When I started in the wine business, you wouldn't want to drink Sicilian wine because most of it was just plain plonk. wasn't very good. Today, every moneyed operation in Italy has an installation down in uh, Sicily because the wines they're producing are absolutely outstanding. And then in the boot of Italy, where again all the wine was pretty much plonk, they call that the Napa Valley of Italy, down in the heel part of the boot in back, right on the sea there. It's a wonderful area, and they're producing magnificent wine. The same thing is true of Spain. 
Spain as a country produced some very, very good wines, world class. But most of the wines that were produced in Spain through the year were very ordinary pedestrian wine. When this educational swap came about, in other words, they were going to uh, California to learn about wines, and the uh, Europeans uh, were accepting California or Oregon people come back and forth. In fact, the Oregon Pinot Noir Festival is a wonderful festival in August, uh, and all of this is Pinot Noir. And people come from all over the world, Australia, New Zealand, etc., to try their Pinot Noir and uh, compare it with the other Pinot Noirs. Being the motherland of all that is Burgundy, where that's pretty much the only red wine they make there is Pinot Noir. Those guys come over, and this Oregon is a regular big meeting place for all these people making wine. And they aren't just swapping taste, they're swapping techniques and style and equipment, etc. And it makes for a, a more balanced kind of wine around the world. And, you know, some of the New World wines aren't so very new. You know, they've been growing wine in Argentina for 300 years. They've also have been growing wine in South Africa for 300 years. Now, we can't say that about Australia or New Zealand. They're relative newcomers on the scene. But even in the, uh, this country, uh, you know, Chilean wines were planted uh, hundreds of years ago. Our own California wines, the commercial wineries, are almost 200 years old now. And so it's a really remarkable change that's occurring around the world. Sharing winemaking and viticultural techniques have helped merge kind of the old world with the new world. And the wines they've produced are absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, as I said, there are a lot of wonderful places in Europe where they grow wine, Austria, Portugal, Germany. Germany is another place, you know, that uh, produces wonderful wines, but they're confusing to a lot of people because of the complex names. And Armenia, you know, Armenia, they found vineyards there and uh, winemaking uh, relics that are over 6,000 years old. And uh, those are considered old world, but they're completely new because in Ar Armenia and Bulgaria, Georgia, I was there in the 70s, and they didn't have any wine-making equipment. They were still making it like they used to. And, you know, that that was, uh, you'd have in town, every little shop would have these huge barrels of wine where you'd go and get your wine for the day in a pitcher. Uh, they didn't even have bottling facilities a lot of these places. So the techniques that were exported mainly by the U.S., some other countries did a little too, were real responsible for changing the wines of the world remarkably. Now, uh, give me a minute here to describe uh, the difference. Let's try to design, uh, talk about the difference between a New Zealand wine and a Sauvignon Blanc uh, from France. We'll do a terrain. Uh, and uh, the one I did was Legao, G-A-I-L-L-O-T. And uh, it's intense nose of cut grass, pepper, pineapples a little bit, lemon, minerality, just delicious and refreshing. And the New Zealand one, let's try Silver Beach, which is a wonderful New Zealand wine. And it sets style for that Marlboro-type 
of mouth-watering wine. There's a touch of flint in the nose, a little bit of grapefruit, uh, and it's balanced perfectly. The wine is just super. Or we could try another where we compare a Merlot, let's say, with a Saint-Emilion from France. Uh, Let's do a Merlot like Fog Mountain from California. Elegant. uh, Delivers current and floral aromas. A cherry nose with spices. Uh, just marvelous Fog Mountain. Then let's try Chateau Garbrio, G-A-R-B-I-L-L-O-T, a wonderful Saint-Emilion, a kind of black cherry nose, a, a fleshy wine with good glycerin, uh, de- deep in character. It's a 13 now, but you can drink it over the next 10 years, and it's wonderful. And not, not, None of these are expensive. Uh, that's the most expensive, and it's well under $25. Uh, I think the Silver Beach is around eleven dollars. Uh, so those wines are very interesting because they really do indeed highlight differences, and yet that doesn't make either one of them a bad wine. The Sauvignon Blanc produced in the Loire Valley is fabulous, but it's totally different than the Sauvignon Blanc produced in New Zealand. And the same thing is true of that Merlot. And Merlot, incidentally, the reason I did the Sauvignon is Sauvignon is more than. usually Merlot. It's just the opposite of the other side of the river in Bordeaux, where the wines are pretty much all Cabernet. But I think you get the idea. You can pick something from uh, the old world or the new world. It doesn't make any difference. And as we've mentioned and seen, they're blending. Every year, every decade even, they get more and more similar. One thing for sure whether you like old world or new world, they're all good wines and worth looking into. Absolutely. And you're going to find everything that Jack's talked about at any Haskell's location, right? But the folks at Haskell's love to talk about wines. They'll be sampling some of the wines we talked about here this morning on those two comparisons. And, you know, on a winter afternoon or winter evening, what would be kind of fun to do is to compare an old world with a new world, same varietal. I think everybody would learn something, and it would be a fun way to while away an evening. You can get those varietals at a Haskell's near you. We have a lot of stores to show you just how to marry wine with food. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior, Fairbolt, right off of 35. Our super seller in Maple Grove is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Haskell's store in Minnetonka at Ridgedale, quite famous. Haskell's in Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. If you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com, and it'll take you right to the Haskell's website. And don't forget, Haskell's does deliver. Fantastic. Jack, let's talk next week. Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Thanks very much. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.